Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. My name's Ned Buskert, your host for your favorite creatively conscious mortality podcast. I mean, that goes out to all of you that have been listening for a while. And thanks for listening for a while to all the eps. And especially thank you to those of you that have said so, messaging us, sending us your love, rating the show, adding words to your ratings to say why it matters you have no idea how important it is to know that you're out there. Um, and so keep saying hello. Like, please shoot us shoot us messages through the social medias and, and email at pod at yg2d.com. You know, we, we really appreciate knowing you're there. And uh, I imagine you well, I do. Like right now, I'm imagining you listening to me. You. Um, granted that the perspective I'm getting of you is is the ear canal. Um, just imagining your ear canal <laughs> being in there. I feel warm and cozy, you know, hollering up into your brain uh, through all the little things that connect um, from sounds through to brain waves. Um, and <laughs> wow, uh, I'm just glad to be in here. Uh, it seems pretty clean. You need to stop using Q-tips. They're dangerous, okay? Don't put them in here. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry. Okay. For those of you that are just listening for the first time, wow, what an introduction. Uh, but welcome. Glad to have you here. This is a sweet episode and I just kind of want to get to it before I get carried away and you have a 15-minute introduction. Um, we need to just get to it because it's a lovely conversation. Our guest, Taylor Reese, we've been connected on social media for a while and I'm so glad to have been. Um, it's kind of like you think, oh, I would like to be friends or maybe we're kind of friends or we both follow each other. I wonder how much we care about uh, each other um, and what we're doing in the world. Um, I'm not saying I think this weirdly uh, much about it, but you know, like we've just been kind of connected for a while through Instagram in particular. And so after seeing a lot of posts and feeling the edge that Taylor pushes up against with her work, as a documentary filmmaker, among many other things, to be clear, lots of things. And I really get that after having talked to Taylor. Um, but but that's really been the access point, seeing a lot of her posts online about the work she's doing, the projects she's working on, and and projects that seem to really like push up into human vulnerability and the edge kind of where our, our fragileness is literally sometimes even placed on a cliff. Um, and seeing some of her work there. And finally, I reached out and was like, hey, do you want to talk? And um, thank goodness she said yes. And now after having a conversation for reals, a couple actually, we wanted to just keep talking. So we we actually ended up talking a, a couple different times on a couple different days. And that's, you're going to hear the edited down version of, of all that. The hearty bits, the heartfelt, heartfelty bits. Um, 
But after doing that, I just feel so grateful for the deepened, like, definitive friendship that we made. And like you've heard me say before, if you've been listening for a while, that these conversations, like you're going to die in general, it's like, let's just strip away the BS. Let's just kind of shed the shallow and get as real and fragile as we really are and be vulnerable and so then see each other wholly and fully and connect there like deeper um, than maybe we would if we just happened to run run into each other at uh, the bank teller, (laughs) the ATM machine. I, I don't know why that's an option. I would never see Taylor there. I rarely go to one actually, uh, but just as an example, you know, how, how often we're with people and we don't get to like drop in. Um, but glad I got to do that with Taylor for this episode. Um, and yeah, Taylor has done so much incredible work and I'm going to share all the links to all the things. Uh, most recently, and we talk a little bit about this, uh, documentary that just got released for Earth Day on Disney+. Plus. It's from the Explorer series uh, put out by National Geographic. It's called The Last Tapui. And it follows this team uh, made up of Alex Honnold. Uh, you, you may know from the documentary Free Solo, the world, he's just a wild climber. Um, if you haven't checked out his stuff, do so. But he's in the documentary and and him in a world-class climbing team led by National Geographic Explorer and climber Mark Sinod. And they go on this mission into the Amazon jungle and attempt a first ascent climb up a thousand foot sheer cliff. And their goal is to deliver this legendary biologist and National Geographic Explorer Bruce Means to the top of this massive island in the sky known as Tapui. <laughs> I mean, it is, it doesn't star Nicolas Cage, okay? <laughs> it's real um, and really incredible. And like all of Taylor's projects, it has me with my mouth open most of the time, just hanging a jar, and then my my tears eventually. And I really feel that way about Taylor's work. This documentary filmmaker who has an insatiable curiosity to explore and tell the stories beneath the surface, you know, like that stuff that cracks us open. And I admit, you know by now, I, I am prone to tears, but I do feel like it's because I'm paying attention for the moments where my tears can come forth and meet things that are beneath the surface, where we shed the shallow, we drop the BS, and we get to like look right in maybe, I don't know, like ourselves or some kind of pure, precious, fragile, fleeting version of our aliveness. And I feel like all Taylor's films, documentaries, really do that to me. You can check out all of them. I'll list them in the show notes. Infusing her passion for adventure into her work around environment and humanitarian issues, Taylor brings new perspectives and deeper public understanding to the complexities of climate change, biodiversity, conservation, human rights, and environmental justice. She received a master's degree in environmental management from the Yale School of Forestry, where she led the Yale Environmental Film Festival before moving into a career as a full-time director, producer, and shooter. Um, Really glad to share another episode with you, and especially, uh, you know, in the unique, special ways for this one, this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Taylor Reese. It's funny because before 
today, I was thinking about, you know, what, what really is my understanding to death and dying mm-hmm. and cycles of life? And is there a connection between what and how death is a part of our life and can drive us towards greater clarity and meaning mm-hmm. um, if we're close with it? You know, and I was like, is there something about like why I'm often driven? And even way before I became a filmmaker, you know, just even in my 20s and even as a kid, like, you know, a lot of my friends called me like a love tornado, just like always kind of chaotically (laughs) destroying things or on the edge of destruction. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that sounds familiar to me. (laughs) Perfect. um, And yeah, but I don't think I can say clearly, like I wish I could Mm. say, oh, you know, pursuing the edges of my own comfort emotionally or physically reminds me of my immortality and therefore mm. uh it helps me feel more alive like mm. i would probably i think i'd be lying if i said that like okay death is still very much a mystery um mm. i think about it all of the time i think i don't know if we all do but yeah i'm one of those people that's just kind of constantly my imagination is always moving back and forth between spaces of like life and death and Mm. what's alive and what's dying and how I'm alive and how I could die and, um, Mm -hmm. and how we're supporting life on this planet and how we're also killing it and Mm. what the difference is between like actively killing something or neglecting something and having life perish in that way versus natural cycles of, of life and death and where all this crazy greed and violence and hatred within humanity lies in the balance of what is natural in terms mm-hmm. of death and suffering and what is unnatural. And um, I think it's just the curiosity around it all that is the biggest driver for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just being so curious about these questions and what happens when you go towards them, either in your mind or through your relationships or in the natural world and then what what do you experience in every experience i think that i have when i push myself in any of these ways um become is the, the most meaningful thing i i can it, it, you know have in life mm. um yeah and mm-hmm. i learn and they don't always teach me very like succinct lessons if they did i'd probably mm-hmm. write a book mm-hmm. but i i <laughs> yeah. haven't and oh I, yeah totally it's all just still feels perpetually yes. confusing sometimes yes <laughs> I, I really love that articulation because I was like, I'm like, I should, should I have written a book already? It's like, no, I am not sure about most of what I keep showing up in the context yeah. of, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. But what a place um, to continue learning from. You know? You're right. You know, I, I really feel that. I, I've been thinking that a lot lately that, you know, there's something backed by my being in this organization and doing your going to die that that's that's sort of, I think... I'm learning to own and, and, and it's what's missing. It's like, I don't have the certificate of letters. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a social worker, but boy, like I am in so many of these contexts where maybe you at some point needed more of that to get there, or that's kind of the usual route. And, you know, I think what that produces, at least for me, is I don't know that any schooling would have like given me the answers enough to know the why. And this is exactly what the answer is that I'm bringing in because of my schooling or whatever experience. Um, In fact, I feel like there's this inclination more to 
the I'm here because I don't know, you know, it's like, mm. because I'm open enough to say, what is, what is this? Like, what, what can be made room for? I'll bring in the skeleton enough of what maybe could happen. Like I'm thinking just having come from that workshop, the idea that there's a skeleton enough of structure for us to arrive there. And then there's these 13 human beings who are bringing in so much that I don't have the answers to, but I'm going to show up. And I feel like your work has mm. this element of, we don't, I'm thinking of moonwalk mm. and I'm going to want to, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to say like, wait a second, tell me a little bit about that film. And then we can make some connections to what we've talked about already generally. Sure. But I'm thinking of that as the like example of, okay, we might've bitten off more than we can chew. Um, but here we go. Like, let's do it. Let's see. That's part of this. The point is that it is this big a thing, this big a question to answer and try for. And maybe even in the failing, there will be something. Although after watching that, that film, um, when, you, when you squeal on, on audio because you guys get that shot of him free solo across the rope with a moon behind it, I just... I, I mean, I kind of like laughed and burst into tears simultaneously. <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Because there's yeah. a, someone else crying in the movie and you're like, he's crying. And I'm like, aren't you crying? I'm crying. <laughs> Is she crying? So anyway, I, maybe we could use that as that example of... Um, Maybe we could use that as that example of or one example of what is that the leaning into I don't know the question mark and and maybe what that experience of capturing that moment was like being that version of the edge literally and and metaphorically. Mm. Well, gosh, Ned, you you like say so many things, and then I want to <laughs> comment on all of them. So, um, okay, I'll try I'm to gonna... work on that, being more succinct. <laughs> I have to I have to go back to something you said okay. that. Great. is uh i think is really important um you know that idea that i think so many people in this world are we're all looking for meaning and you know whether it's a career or a passion or a project and um you know i feel really lucky that i had a certain amount of freedom as a kid and a certain amount of like having to take care of myself as a kid that i kind of just was like oh like life is a journey and I'm just going to bounce around and follow my nose. Like mm. I, you know, and I think about what a privilege that was, you know, to be in a safe enough environment to do that. Um, and, you know, to be able to take off for periods of my twenties and completely quit what I was doing and, you know, drive off into the sunset and have my car break down and live in a camp zone for three weeks. And then oh. unexpectedly, take a nonprofit job and you know, do all these things. Like even, you know, I, I had a safety net where if something went wrong, I could have lived yeah. with my parents. So I want to preface that because yeah. I, I don't think it's Thank fair you. to just be like, we're all following the rules too much. We should just right. like throw off the chains. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate if, that. If you can, but I also, you know, um, I don't consider myself a filmmaker. Like I, I really struggle with that. I've made some films. I, I like the industry. I, don't know if I'm a, a photographer. At one point I was an academic. I used to run a nonprofit. I kind of wish I was a dancer um, <laughs> at the heart of it. Like I don't, mm -hmm. I don't feel incredibly professional mm. at anything. Mm -hmm. And yet like you, I often show up into these spaces where I can tell that there's a reason I'm supposed to be there. And it's, mm. and more than anything, I think it's just like, 
just as a human being with ears and eyes and a heart and an ability to listen, I can like, that there's a reason that I'm in a certain situation. And sometimes the outcome of that is a film. Sometimes it's a friendship. Um, sometimes it's some weird, crazy art project that I'm going to do with my neighbor. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when we follow, just start, um, if you can like, you know, it kind of begs these questions, like what's the purpose of a human life? Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. but you get a chance. And the more I get to know and trust my own heart and just be like, oh, I kind of want to go in this direction, but it mm-hmm. really doesn't seem like the normal way to go. Or that's not the trajectory that professionally is going to help me climb the ladder. Mm. If you can like continue to just go into weird spaces because you listen to yourself, you know, I think that's really incredible. And I, and I wish I could create a way to like help encourage others to, to know how to do that. And I think we grow up in, in school systems and in all kinds of uh, societal structures that limit that. Um, so the more we can help each other to feel safe doing that, the better. So I liked that you shared that. Just as another example, I imagine while you're filming Ashes to Ashes, just you crying behind mm-hmm. the camera sometimes, you know, like capturing a moment or listening to someone speak um, and wondering about that. And maybe Moonwalk yeah. could be the beginning of like, because that's such a celebratory thing. It's like, it is an edge. It is it is a film that captures like great human feet and not just him um, and nature, by the way, too, but like y'all accomplishing this thing um, with this incredible equipment, you know? Um, but these moments of like where you're a part of it, you're not trying mm-hmm. to capture it. You're just like <clears throat> overcome by it. And I'm wondering about how that film maybe created that for you. Like this version of what you're speaking to stepping into the, I'm here now, like I'm a part of this thing. I'm not even a film director, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a really beautiful question. Um, it brings up so many questions actually about the nature of documentary film as a, as an art form. And of mm-hmm. course, like, you know, the moonwalk is actually commercial in nature, mm-hmm. but it all, it all actually points to the fact that I think that there are so many ways to tell stories if you're using film as a medium. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly there's like big Hollywood narrative films or even independent narrative films where that's, you know, someone's writing a script and it's a make-believe story and it's getting created. But documentary is this strange space where um, it's real life and yet you can shoot it like a like a journalist with all of the rigor of journalism or you could pr- almost make it like an artistic dream. And if it's still real life, it's still real life and it's documentary mm-hmm. and can be classified as such. And there are amazing filmmakers who are really, really good at being the fly on the wall. And you never really know that they're in a story. Mm-hmm. And then there are documentary filmmakers who become parts of their stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I personally just, I just love life so much. <laughs> I just love people. Sometimes they drive me crazy, but mostly I'm just sure, like, wow, <laughs> human yeah. beings. Ah. Mm. And so when I sit and interview people, I often cry. And then I'm like, this isn't helping. <laughs> Is that <laughs> what you think? Is that what you think? What, well, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why would you feel that way? You know, like, do you, um, or is it? Yeah, tell me. I won't. I won't. I that's mean, my question. I'm not trying. I don't want to make it about me. Mm, but people's sure. stories are so moving. Mm. And human beings are so 
beautiful and mm-hmm. complex and full of so much story that sometimes to sit with someone and open your heart and listen and and really create a space for you both to be vulnerable, like, of course, I'm going to cry. Mm. Um, and then sometimes that makes them cry more. So yeah, right. I guess I wouldn't necessarily equate tears with an excellent interview, but it it is good to move into a <laughs> yeah. space where people can reach their hearts, mm. especially because, uh, you know, it's also hard to have a camera on you and yeah. feel that way. So yeah, now there is a time when like, I think I became very disillusioned with environmental filmmaking mm. um, where I just was like, oh, like, there's no shortage of information out there. Mm-hmm. We have so many movies and stories. In fact, we're just being flooded with them. You know, mm-hmm. how can mm-hmm. how are people actually going to yeah. connect with the landscapes closest to them, the water sources um, that they depend on? Uh, you know, and I and I got really upset and confused trying to figure out what my role was going to be in all this because I didn't want to just participate in an industry that was kind of self-sustaining that of like filmmaking and film festivals and circuits and streaming networks and all this stuff. Um, and just be a part of this drowning noise that was saying the same thing over and over and over again into an echo chamber that often didn't actually have very many avenues for people to, Mm. Um, take action, not yeah. a, not for these places very far away that they could like see as beautiful and donate to, but to to actually feel something inside of them that they recognized deeply as ecological, that they were ecological beings, not just social beings, mm. that they felt the blood in their veins and knew that it was connected to the health of the streams around them, that they felt their flesh and 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 saw it as food mm-hmm. and that they just deeply understood that everything they put in their bodies and through their homes and down the drains and into the trash was this great cycle that was basically going to always perpetually come back into their bodies. Because, mm. you know, I think we, I think there was an article that came out today that said they, the very first proof that microplastics are lodging themselves in our organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was like, when, like how to tell stories that make it come home? Like how do we, create more community and dialogue around environmental storytelling so that we actually can connect with it. And, um, you know, I feel I'm, I'm look, I I have some ideas Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I'm going to be exploring around that. Mm. You know, at the moment I still, I'm really lucky to be able to go to these far off places, you know, to the Kirills. I just did a film that's um, coming out on Disney, not geo Disney plus uh, in April on, on earth day called The Last Tapui, which is about um, a scientist going to Guyana to um, also like help to to find uh, more frog species undiscovered by science mm-hmm. to help support conservation efforts. Um, I'm working in Kenya with the last two living northern white rhinos and, um, and a group of scientists who are attempting to save the species through IVF. And these stories are very far apart. Wow. They're very far away. And sometimes I'm like, what? Like, what do people really think? Are they like, oh, I'm the rhinos. Like, I am the frogs, you know? Mm. The sea lions matter to me. Mm. And I used to think that that was kind of impossible, but I'm actually coming around to realize mm. that just as much as we need 
dialogue and storytelling that really inspires us to look around us every day at our own trees and our own grasses and streams and birds and dumps and landfills and wastewater treatment systems and drinking water systems to help us understand our own local ecologies. Mm -hmm. I actually think these stories about earth are coming closer to home. Like Mm. the pandemic showed us that um, we're all connected globally more than any way I think we have felt viscerally in the past. And we've also learned that you can't solve a global problem in isolation, Mm -hmm. that it takes people in one part of the world to do or not do something to help a whole nother part of the world. Mm. And that, you know, the frogs in Guyana and the rhinos in Kenya and the sea lions in the Kurils, like, I think those stories are starting to feel a lot closer to home to me now than they ever have before. Mm. Um, and the ways in which we participate globally in campaigns to demand for um, ecosystem protections are increasing. Yeah. You know, the... Um, I believe, so I'm working on a story around lithium mining in Chile and Argentina and everyone's like, oh, but no one really cares. Like that's in South America. That's so far away. And I was like, we care now more than ever. And actually Mm. visibility and cross-continental communication is so much easier. And I believe that with enough movement building and storytelling that we can get everyone who's buying electric vehicles to actually demand that those materials are sourced ethically. But it takes awareness and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so I went through this whole cycle in my life where I was like, storytelling <laughs> sucks. It's not really doing anything. Yeah, I'm anything. like, oh, damn it. It's you're back dumb. at it. Yeah. But now I've come full circle. I'm like, well, no, it why? helps. why? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it. yeah, I get that. I'm feeling it. And I fucking lived it because I watched some of your work and I'm like, Jesus, like this is really affecting me, you know? Um, and uh, and I'm like, I'm kind of curious, you know, why, what, kept you back. And I'm, my theory is something that I feel like you've touched on already, which is like the grief of it, you know, like that, mm. that it's still a question, you know, like, I just can't imagine you're a person who could be like, this is so fucked, you know, that it doesn't work. And this doesn't work. Like how it's been going doesn't work. We're not saving, you know, let's just a little dramatic, but real, like we're not saving mm-hmm. the planet. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because of that, conf- the confronting nature of that fact, here you are still like leaning in and trying to figure it out and trying to tell stories in a way that like get us to wake up. And I mean, I don't mean to be like, this is you and and have you be like, that's, I'm going to own it and put you on the spot with it. But like, that's what it feels like to me. Does that resonate? You know, this like leaning in, this, this leaning in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to invent a new way unless we just continue to look really closely. Like mm. anytime, you know, whoever invented something new by looking at something and feeling like, oh, well, this is shit. And like, mm-hmm. this probably is going to work. Like, I'm just going to go sit on the side of the pond. Like, <laughs> yeah. you have to keep looking and turning it over mm-hmm. and over again and be really passionate and curious about the truth. Mm-hmm. And be really passionate and curious about possibility and things that we can't, like knowing that there's so much that we can't perceive or understand or know that is coming or possible. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the right or the wrongness of it, you know, the are we doing good or are we doing bad? Is this going to help or is it going to hurt? Um, that 
those questions get answered in conversation with, you know, bringing as many people to the table as you can Mm -hmm. and figuring it out together. And there are no perfect solutions. And that's where climate change, you know, just feels like this huge insurmountable thing that is kind of hurtling in the wrong direction very fast and shows Mm -hmm. no sign of slowing down. Mm -hmm. And yet like I, there are so many passionate, curious groups of people continuing to look really hard and continuing to find all of the tiny streams that will eventually become bigger streams that will eventually become rivers that lead us into different kinds of futures. And those Mm -hmm. futures might not be utopian, but they're going to be different than if we just sat back and gave up. And I just think like, just knowing that like we create the future, we are participatory in our own stories it's that's that's enough to keep going Everybody, hope you're enjoying this episode of You're Going to Die the Podcast with Taylor Reese. Uh, I am loving this episode being in the world. Just wanted to stop and take a moment to help that happen a little more. Uh, well, at least to ask for your help. What you can do right now is if you're feeling this episode, the best thing you can do for the podcast is share it with others. So if you got a quick mailing list of a thousand people, just pop this episode out to them. <laughs> Or you know what? Just click the little share icon in your podcast app and share the episode with one friend. That matters. It does. You know who it is. Someone you're like, oh my gosh, they would love this. Send it along. That's one really important special way to help you're going to die the podcast, keep doing what it's doing. A couple other things you can do. One big thing is you can become a patron. And I want to thank all of you who have been popping into our Patreon community lately. Such a huge deal to help this thing go more easily. It's the way I always put it. Like, we're going to keep doing this, but boy, we need your help to make it easier than ever before. So go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron today. You can pay as little as $1 a month. And I think we max it out at around five grand. So if you got that much money laying around every month, you can do that too. But there's a lot of options in between. The reality is that particular support is uniquely important to us. And so we're trying to acknowledge that community too by posting special resources, special um, media that connects to the podcast, little treats that's only for y'alls. So again, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron today. The last thing I'll ask is if you can review the podcast, please do. If you're listening in Spotify, it's just as simple as clicking the little star ratings. Our numbers are slowly but surely climbing there. Just put in a star amount and let us know if you're loving this thing. And then you can go into Apple Podcasts and do the same, but you can also go add some words. And that is particularly special for increasing the visibility of the podcast. So any way you can rate and share and support what we're up to, please do. 
We are actually right now, this episode is coming out at the very end of our annual fundraiser in April of 2022. So if you're feeling inclined, and in fact, if you're listening to this after that, you can go to our website, www.yg2d.com, and you can click donate and support the nonprofit in general and all the things we're up to in the world. Needless to say, thanks for anything you're about to do to help us do more of what we're up to. And for now, thank you for just listening at all. It means so much to be in your little ear canal or big ear canal. I have a big ear canal, so I don't want to leave anybody out. If you have a big ear canal, we're happy to be there too. As we do in some of our episodes, we want to give you a little mid-show moment to kind of settle um, by connecting something that relates to the conversation uh, and and maybe offering it as a way to kind of nestle into your own precious, fragile, fleeting, mortal being. Um, how's, how's that for a for a description? But I'm kind of. I'm kind of emotional even suddenly. I didn't I didn't plan on it. Not that I ever plan on being emotional, but I asked Taylor if if she wouldn't mind sending some audio of anything really from somewhere in the world where she's been and um something she wants to share with us from one of those places that we could have Nick Jana our producer score and offer to you for that chance to maybe close your eyes and just kind of be here wholly and fully. And I'm so glad that Taylor sent this audio of the two northern white rhinos taking mud baths. Najin and her daughter Fatou are the last uh, two northern white rhinos living on earth in Kenya, a conservancy there. And after talking with Taylor, to be able to let you be with a little of what she has been able to visit in these living beings and their energies and their their unintentional wisdom communicated through just their precious aliveness, the end of a species. What is that? What is that? And we want to bring it in here for you. Thank you. 
You know, the other thing I think is intention. I had this incredible experience that a friend taught me before I was heading to Guyana, which is a country between Brazil and Venezuela. I was going on a two-month expedition there last year um, that involved hiking into the jungle and uh, up this big wall. And it was actually going to be myself and then the film crew, film and climbing crew of 10 men. And then in addition to that, we had 80 porters, all men. Mm. So I was going into the situation where I was going to be the only women with like a hundred men. And and I was directing um, the film. And before- Oh my gosh. uh, And I was talking to a friend and I was like, oh, I'm just- you know, I'm just really anxious that I'm not going to be respected or that like, you know, it's going to be the same old like boys club and they're not going to see me as the director and I'm just going to get really frustrated and and feel down. And I go with my, my husband too. And we, we co-direct and co-film and sometimes that's amazing. And sometimes everyone just kind of assumes that he's, he's the one in charge. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh gosh, like, how do I prepare for this so that I, can show up and and embrace this amazing experience and also do my job and not you know not get not get frustrated and a friend of mine was like oh, it's all about intention like believe deeply inside of you that when you go your film crew is going to work so well together that they're going to respect your role that you're going to respect theirs and like lead the team in a great way mm-hmm. and just like mm-hmm. sit with that and imagine it because mm-hmm. a prior to that Um, like a couple months prior, I actually was on a trip on a film crew with a bunch of dudes and it went so wrong. And I wrote in a journal, I have it in my journal. I was like, I'm never, ever, ever, (laughs) ever, ever working on a film with men ever again, ever. (laughs) Yes. Declaration. And then here I am for this thing. I was like, is this going to go horribly wrong? And, um, and I was like, no, it's going to go great. I believe Mm. that this is going to be different. I believe it with all my heart. And it was the best trip ever. Like every single person on our film crew worked well together. I felt very respected, like um, in my role as a leader. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's magic. Like intention is mm-hmm. magic. And it's such yeah. a powerful force for us to use and learn how to use in our lives. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. And I think that you're <laughs> you're powerful. Um, you know, it's like intentions available and you just got behind it. Like you just know the first time I went into San Quentin, it was this like, okay, two things when when I got the 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 ask, you know, and it's like the 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 first thing was yes, absolutely. Um, but that other piece is this like, what the am I going to do in there? Like, how am I going in there? And that's part of it, you know, and that paying attention, that's what I'm really connecting to with what you just described. And I think it is an offering to those women that have reached out to you, the young women who have asked for your advice about this and the listeners, you know, to this, this podcast, I think there, and it connects here. It's like, what's the, what's the mortality connection? Like, why are we even digging into this? But I do think like so much of what runs through you're going to die is this like paying attention really from the heart, like an emotional state of being, emotional state of aliveness that's in relationship to the world and has us put forth at the edge. And that that's something to pay attention for. 
the idea that the thing that's risky, although we don't want to put ourselves so far forth that we might traumatize ourselves mm-hmm. or endanger our, mm-hmm. our lives and well-being, but that it's enough of this is where you'll expand. Mm-hmm. This is where your aliveness will like deepen and your connectedness will grow. And, and I really hear that in what you're describing and relate to that. Like why I'm here talking to you. It's part of what draws drew me to reaching out. And I see it in your films. It's that part, I think especially some of your work that is the out in the jungle, like doing the climb. I mean, there's the one film you sent, you, you maybe you could describe that. Cause I do want to talk about that. I was like, how does that film fit in here? And it feels like fully the edge. Someone said, this is what you need to do. This really extreme project show how good this camera works in that context. Good luck. Let us know when you come back, you know, and, and while you're there, like, what the hell, what are you filming? What's the storyboard? I have no idea, but when I watched that film. Oh, in the jungle. Um, I'm, yes. Yeah, so- Can you describe that and maybe connect <laughs> it to all the, again, it's like me just jumping <laughs> on you lots of things, but I want to say all that yeah. to you. I want to clarify all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the trip. That um, film actually will be out on Disney plus uh, National Geographic on Earth Day. So April 22nd right. yes, um, mm-hmm. is the hour cool. long. And what you saw was just like a little behind the scenes, basically of the cameras uh, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. And that was the trip with the 80 men. Oh, so, okay. Wow. Um, you know, that, that trip, that story really was the origin of that idea was conceived by Mark Sinnott, who was, a one of the climbers and the writers that was there and Bruce, the scientist that was there to explore, to go basically really deep into the jungle where Bruce had worked for 30 years, um, kind of, you know, doing surveys on the biodiversity there because it's essentially a Galapagos in the sky Mm. and Mm. does deserve protection. Um, And it's interesting because my role, you know, Mark and and my partner Renan are friends and we kind of all started thinking about how we were going to, you know, pitch this show to Nat Geo and this this trip. And for me, like the the big questions that were, were, were nagging at me and drawing me in were like, why does, you know, assessing how biodiverse a place is, um, like, why does that matter? You know, what does it, because when we, if we know that there are places that are just so rich and so deserving of protection, we will protect them. And then the greater question for me is like, what does protection even, even look like and who's involved? And Mm -hmm. so I, I felt really protective knowing that so many you know, the establishment of so many national parks often pushes out uh, indigenous communities. Um, this, it, uh, the national parks in the United States, for example, have displaced yeah. um, tribes for centuries. And this happens all over the world. So this idea, like, we're going to protect this land, but we're going to, like, yeah, remove people totally. in, in, in protection. Yeah, yeah and right. So this, this um, tension, this you know, this obsession, this very important obsession that we have with like iconic ecosystems and frogs and polar mm. bears and creatures, and I'm doing this work too with rhinos and whales and orcas, and uh, you know, we are in a community on the planet Earth with all this life, but the idea that we separate what is human and civilization versus what is um, 
what is nature can uh, can be really damaging. And so when this trip was going on and all this conversation was happening, like, you know, and this idea that we're going to tell the story about like, we're going to discover even more frog species in this amazing place. And there, and like, that should mean that this country should, should conserve it. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I felt it was really important for me to go to make sure Mm. that the story didn't, um, you know, didn't, incidentally continue the, to reiterate the narrative that places should be conserved without the people who are indigenous to them. Wow. And yeah. it was amazing to be there because on this journey, you know, the 80 porters were Akawayo um, indigenous communities that, that came and supported and cooked and guided us. And like, I mean, just the, um, the ability to live in those environments mm. in those jungles, the way that they built mm. their hammocks and started fires out of wet wood, uh, just, learned so much. And those communities are actually forming what are called COCAs, community organized conservation areas, where they are the ones, um, you know, deciding together how to limit environmental degradation while still being able to live like their ancestral ways in the forest. And I think that that is so important. Um, So I was Mm -hmm. really glad that that's happening. And that I'm so glad that you shared that. I, I just feel like it's such a good um, example of what I was, I wasn't sure how to get more of, which is what you talked about earlier, the, what's been happening in the ways we're trying to quote unquote protect the globe um, and the, and the ways like film and, and, and document, document documentaries are like capturing these things, but just making money, but not really doing anything. And so I so appreciate that articulation for um, touching back into that with your work. Um, Thank you for that. Um, Were you going to add something? Okay. Um, So it does feel like though, (laughs) I just keep kind of thinking of what you said earlier, which is this like grief and joy combo. And the being at the edge, which is uncomfortable and like even risky, you know, I mean, I feel like you've been in danger doing your work sometimes. And that also connects to like the I'm alive. This feels like a version of it, like how uncomfortable too you were during some of this filming. I'm just thinking of the video, the film with like all the rain, but also just you know, you're trying to survive out there for weeks, sometimes, like you said, where you're running out of food, but you're drawn there because that's that's a part of it. Is that true? Or are you just like, it's incidental that sometimes it ends up being at the edge in that way. That's what I kind of wanted to connect to earlier is that some of your work, it's this way that I feel like emotionally, I'm a fucking free solo um, uh, adventurer. And I can't ever imagine being in some of the context that you are in with your work and with the people, um, too, that are also inclined to those spaces um, and places. And I'm wondering, like, was that, like, how early was that, like, opportunity? When suddenly was there just a project one day when you just were, like, out in the jungle? Like, how did that unfold? Did you, you know, was it also the same thing of just like one day someone said, here's where this project's going to happen. You're going to be okay with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 
I think a lot of people seek out adrenaline and danger and risky adventure mm. to definitely to like make them feel more alive. Um, yeah. I totally get that. And I think it comes from like, we're, we're, we're too comfortable uh, if we live in a stable um, and safe environment, which not everyone on the planet does, but those who do, it's like almost seek out danger because there's something so human with having to mm -hmm. fight to survive that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, triggers all the right brain chemistry to like help balance um, out our, I don't know, like our, our what, how we feel right in the world. And mm. I don't think I'm particularly driven <laughs> to danger. I'm not like, oh, I really need to like this. almost die. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I don't yeah. <laughs> like, no, my middle name is actually free solo. My parents were climbers, <laughs> but it, you know, it's interesting because mm. I've talked to my dad about it and he said, you know, it's not so much like we gave you that middle name because we wanted you to be like a risk taker. When you free solo, mm. you recognize that there are no parachutes in life that, that your actions um, really do completely dictate how, you know, A, whether you live and die, but B, like how your life goes. Like you're, mm. it's a sense of real responsibility for yourself. And mm. so that's kind of like where my relationship to, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of risky adventurous stuff is. It's like, it does teach me to be really responsible for my own safety and my own self. If I'm moving through environments, like I wouldn't want to put myself in a situation where suddenly everyone else had to be responsible for me and it put them in danger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know, I guess just like being willing and able to go to those places, to go to Iceland in the dead of winter and cross on skis, to go into North Kivu and um, into like a war zone to tell a story for Nat Geo about conflict gold mm -hmm. and be held up at gunpoint multiple times. Like I, I, I don't. This happened mm -hmm. to you. Yeah, I didn't. I don't seek it out. I'm not like, ooh, I want to do that. But, <laughs> oh, I'm, but I'm definitely like, I, God, I can do someone that. Someone have like, a gun out there. I'm, I'm yeah, willing. Right. I um, mm. maybe there is wow. a little bit of intrigue about dangerous places. Mm -hmm. Uh, or maybe it's just that I've done it enough, both physically in cold environments and wet environments, in conflict zones that I'm. I feel comfortable. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't sit around and like be like, oh man, I really need, no, <laughs> I really need some danger in my life. But I don't know, maybe subconsciously I, I well, am doing that. I wonder. I, wonder. I mean, <laughs> that's why, and that's why the world is I'm like, curious we're going to give her another totally crazy thing yeah, to do. Yeah, <laughs> she wants this. Um, but I think without having to go into like your family history and what it was like growing up, there's a way that I think there's, um, the places that I show up with, you're going to die goes back to something about how I grew up. Um, some kind of like emotional edge, you know, uh, there was certainly a lot of anger and depression and, and discomfort around like being, being with that stuff, being visible myself with emotion, trying to get noticed. Um, so there is a way that I really connect my own personal risky, I'll say quote unquote mm. risky in comparison to what you just described. Um, but also definitely the edge for me um, that goes all the way back 
to something in my youth. And yeah. uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, some lifetime before mine. But um, does that 100%. connect to anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think if you grow up in a, you know, tumultuous, somewhat unstable, shifting, wild childhood, which has great mm-hmm benefits and can make you very strong and can be really hard at times, but yeah. like you're, you'll seek that out. You know, I'm more comfortable when things are, I like when things are going totally batshit crazy, I'm instantly calm. Like mm. I just, everything focuses for me. And like when, when things are really comfortable and quiet, I'm like, what's going on oh here? My gosh. <laughs> I Taylor, need to shake it up so... a I, I'm sorry. I just got the chills because I, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to like make you be my best friend for the rest of our lives, but there's just so many things you're saying that I'm like, yes, that is it. I, I tell, you know, I tell Sarah, my wife, you know, um, going to the hospice bedside, like to a dying person's bedside has a calm and a settling for me someone that's really in it too, not just someone quietly laying there and dying, you know, someone who's in suffering, you know, um, or going into the prison, yeah. you know, which I'm not, it's nothing, I'm not trying to say like, it's dangerous in there, but you know, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff we've been fed about entering spaces like that. And it's certainly different from going down to target, you know, but like, there's a way I'm, I show up there that's <laughs> that is completely different from like me just getting home, you know, and like being around the kids and and being like it's quiet. Uh, what do I need to like somehow get control over, or um, why is it why is it so calm? You know, I just really really related to that description. Um, thanks for that. Yeah, I I think you know kinship and friendship are some of the best things on this planet. And mm-hmm. yeah, a- mm-hmm. Alison Davis, actually, I know who you interviewed before. She and I share a lot of yeah. this too. And um, I, yeah, I mean, oh gosh, how, I don't know who on this planet. I actually do know some people who grew up in a fairly stable. Oh, me too. Thing. Actually, no, I think about it. Uh, my wife. Yeah, my husband. <laughs> so I was just husband. like, there's, okay. Yeah. It's probably why we need them in yeah. some way. I know I feel uh, that way. My it's husband's like, so grounding for me, so grounding. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, you're, how are you mm-hmm. so stable? Like, what? I yeah. don't even get it. But um, <laughs> totally. But I, I have to That's like. Good. I really have to, you know, appreciate um, all the different ways that you know all of us human beings grow up. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, like, oh, would I be <clears throat> better? at relationships or at my job if I was, wasn't was um, such a tornado of a human being. Um, mm. But I'm like, I, I really am grateful for, for my mom and my upbringing and all of the wild rides, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, yeah, I relate yeah. to that. I have this crazy story. You probably won't want to put it on your podcast, but I feel like I should tell you. You're saying you you think I won't want to put it on the podcast, or you don't want it to be on the podcast? I you can put it on if you want to, but okay, um, great, go ahead. It's just a it's a little bit out of left field, but let's go there for a second. Um, Yeah, great. As if we haven't been bringing (laughs) things out of left field, I'm ready. I uh, I had moved to my parents separated when I was super young, and I bounced around 
between their homes. And my dad was in Iowa. My mom had moved to Michigan and I had moved to Michigan with her to this like very religious town called Holland, Michigan, um, where I still love my friends from there. They're great. But I was new to school and I remember going to school on the first day and everyone was like, what church do you go to? And I was like, what's church? Like, I don't really know what church is. I've never been. And they're like, oh my God, you're going like- Wait, how old are you when this this happens? Eight years old. Okay, great. And then they're like, Mm -hmm. you're definitely going to hell. You know, and I was just like, what's hell? Like, is that where, I have never been there either. (laughs) I love it's like a friendly invitation (laughs) that it follows up with like, well, okay, first of all, you're going to hell. Um, So I go home and I'm like, mom, like, I think I'm going to hell. Mm. I've been told I'm going to hell because I I don't go to church. And she's like, well, Mm. like- why don't, do you want to explore it? And I was like, sure. So every Sunday for like a couple months, she, we went to all different kinds of churches. We went to the Protestant church. Mm. We went to um, a Quaker church. We went to um, my friend's Hispanic church, wherever it was all in Spanish. And I think I was might've been even baptized. Uh, mm. And um you know, I totally explored all these different options and she just like, let me kind of see what it was all about. And at the, she, she came with, with me. You. Yep. You, yeah. You and, me her. and her. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm that into this. This isn't that exciting for me. I don't really love it. Um, and she's like, well, what if we invented our own ritual? And so <laughs> she took a couple of weeks off of work. She painted the entire floor of our home, like a solar system, with suns and planets. And she made me a wizard costume. And on Sundays, we would paint terracotta pots um, with all of like these ideas. And then we would put plants in them. And the whole kind of like subconscious theme that I took away from it was like, um, you are the wizard of your own universe and your creations and intentions <laughs> can become life, but you have to take care of them. Mm. So we would like paint these pots and then you put a plant in it, which is life, but then you still have to like water it every day and, you know, feed mm-hmm. it. Um, but it was just so whimsical and magical, uh, mm. you know, and, and she was also like, like it could all, it all, like at times things got really dark and hard, but I think, yeah. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. to have this woman in my life who, took me on such an adventure, you know, and mm-hmm. how yeah. much I just hope and pray for her inner peace all the time. Cause I don't, I think mm-hmm. some of the most beautiful, uh, creative people on the planet, um, you know, just are also experience a lot of darkness. So that was my conversation with Taylor Reese, Taylor Free Solo Reese, birth name, middle name, Free Solo. Um, and uh, just check out Taylor Reese's website for sure. And I'll put this link in the show notes, taylorfreesolorees.com. 
And there's a lot of her documentaries are available through there. Uh, also, so many other projects to touch on. One thing I wanted to mention is that her partner, um, Renan Ozturk, uh, is involved in so many of these projects, shooting some of the content, but also directing with her, including um, The Last Tapui. Uh, that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and that we talk about during um, our conversation. Uh, that's a project that she co-directed with him. Um, but yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes. I'm just feeling really, really kind of um, moved working on this. Even now, I'm feeling kind of emotional. Uh, this episode feels really really special and touches on some some things that I really connect to. It's this, this way that Taylor and I maybe saw each other from the things we do in the world for the same reasons, maybe. Um, I could just go on and on, but Nick's just sitting here waiting for me. I'm just sitting here. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to you about it. It's I mean, this, I could this, leave. I don't have to be here. Would you mind? Can I have a quiet moment <laughs> okay, alone I'll with the audience? Close, door closed or door open? Click. Yeah, keep the door open, but stand very far away from it so you can't hear. Um, hi, Nick, Jaina. How are you? Hi. Great. Doing great. Good, 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 good. Um, I did want to talk to you about this, and and it is a theme we've touched on before, but the work that Taylor puts into the world, there's often this element, at least for me, one really great example of it is her doc, her short documentary, Ashes to Ashes, which I highly recommend you all check out. And it's about... Um, this master leatherwork artist, Winford Rembert, who it was also a survivor of an attempted lynching in, in Georgia in 1967. Um, it's that and these other documentaries that capture parts of our world that are threatened by climate change and the way humans are uh, populated in the planet um, and what we're doing to the planet by being here and growing our population growing here, what's happening. And so there's this element that I, that I felt with her work. That's this, like, we're, we're, we need to like be with what's broken. And Winford talks about it, like the trauma of the lynching, the attempted lynching still is with him and it's not going to go away. And his sleep is, is horrible because of it. And, and so he lives with this thing, but he creates from that place. And the documentaries, I feel like that Taylor produces and is involved in have this element of like being with what's at risk or bring, being with what's broken. And I feel like you're going to die makes that room. It's like we don't move on to any kind of action, any kind of what's next, any answers until we're first like deeply with the thing that's at threat or that's been threatened or that's been broken. Um, and I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on that from from your perspective of you're going to die and even just in your life, that thing. I know we've, I feel like we've talked about this before. No surprise. I feel like it's all we talk about. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I know guys, listen, this, <laughs> this is so, this is a big revelation I had. <laughs> oh yeah. We've mentioned it in 13 episodes of the podcast already, but I guess yeah, that's I mean, to your, that that's kind of to my point. It's like, that's just matters so much to me. I know I get it. We Great, get it, right. Ned. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I, it's about restoring the capacity for connection, which is hard to repair. And it's hard to get people to trust when that's been broken. And I, 
open a place for people to be vulnerable. Mm. You know, there's a lot to repair in a lot of different ways and different things hit people in different ways. You know, it's funny. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I have a friend. Oh, <laughs> I have a good friend who has had a lot of loss in their lives. And I've mentioned this organization to them several times. And, and they just say, I was just talking to them the other day and they said, I don't know what it is about that organization. It just rubs me the wrong way. I was like, really? <laughs> like, I feel like this is like yeah. up your alley. Like, uh-huh. I feel like, you know, and they've never like been to a event or never, I don't know. I haven't experienced it much. Maybe it's just the name. I don't know. But like, it, it, I just point that out to say like, even people for whom it's like a perfect thing for like a, a perfect opportunity for someone to do that thing, restore capacity for connection. There can mm-hmm. still be this, a thing that, makes them afraid like oh what if this is the opposite of what it says it's going to be or uh, mm-hmm. you know like what, what what if they're actually insensitive about this thing that they're, that they're that i need help with you know not that yeah. not, not that my friends put it in those words but beneath that i imagine anytime yeah. we're kind of like folding our arms and being like no that's stupid like i wouldn't be a part of that you know yeah. there's something <laughs> there about like we're actually yearning for the thing and we're, we've been yes. disappointed so many times, you know, that, that's my yeah. optimistic way of looking at it. But just, you mm-hmm. know, like, just to say like, there's, a, you've done so much great work and, and there's still other cable to be laid for communication and there's another, other roads to be, to be paved that make it possible or maybe not, or maybe it's, maybe some people just find a different route, you know? Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. All those things. I, I, for some reason, I'm just smitten with the idea that someone out there even knows about you're going to die enough to be like, I don't, I don't know. I just that organization rubs me the wrong way that <laughs> that we're in the world enough for someone to say so. Um, and of course, it's likely they have access to you're going to die through you, and that's why they say it. But also, maybe not. Maybe there's other ways they've been like, uh, someone shared a post or someone else mentioned it. Um, and and this is another thing we've talked about plenty, but it is that you know litmus test or the invitation or the, okay, definitely not for me moment of something called you're going to die um, that, yeah, is so on the nose. And so then maybe the person that needs it uh, has the perfect reaction, which is like anger or upset or annoyance. Um, and I've talked to people who used to hold that position until they finally said yes. And maybe even when they came, they were feeling it during an open mic, but that that shifted eventually because maybe what was proven is that it's not what you thought or yeah. it does hold the things you bring in a way you couldn't have possibly known just by hearing about it from someone else. Um, yeah. And I know that if this person like had lunch with you, they would like cry for hours and they would <laughs> love it and they would get so much out of, it. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that it, it's so hard to, I think the thing is it's so hard to open up that capacity to heal trauma and to heal like, mistrust than it is to just, you know, rally around something that you're too cool for or something that you hate or, you know, it's so much easier to gather people on that side of like, yeah, we're, we're, we hate everything and and come join us, you know? Yeah. Um, That vulnerability I think is scary for people. Yeah. I get that. And, you know, I wouldn't have started this thing or be in it without really understanding that part, you know? I mean, it is part of what we do is just also being like, I get it. You know, I get why you don't want to do this. I get why you don't want to come here. And often I don't want to. How often I don't. (laughs) I don't want to record the next episode segment or be at the grief 
workshop or do the open mic. You know, it's so common that I feel that way. This um, organization then, rubs you the wrong way. It totally does. <laughs> it totally does. I mean, and that's the truth. I was thinking about that today. I'm having just a brutal w- week. And 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 I think about my kids someday finding and understanding more of what I do with You're Going to Die and having them. And I imagine this truly real <laughs> moment that's inevitable gonna, inevitably going to come, which is them being like, he wasn't very conscious and present. He wasn't like using his mortality and eventual death to be like kind constantly. He would just be annoying and bossy and and like control freak at home and and depressed. And and the truth is like that's the truth. That is part of how I am in the world. And that and that there is a way that you're going to die rubs me the wrong way, but that it was created because of that. You know, part of you're mm. going to die, part of what you're going to die is is, is a response to those parts of me that are just like you know, fuck this. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be with you. I want to be alone. I want to watch yeah. the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> and eat ice. Let's talk about that. Let's okay. talk about the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> People love it when we talk about the Fast and the Furious. We're having a, a just a really strong success right now for any of our uh, Fast and the Furious episodes. Um, okay. All right. I'm done. Um Check out Taylor Free Solo Reese at taylorfreesolorese.com. You can find Taylor Free Solo on Instagram at taylorfreesolo. And uh, like I said, there'll be lots of links to a lot of her work in the show notes. I'll make sure to list lots and lots of them. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm just going to thank you all for listening. We're so happy to be in your ear again. And uh, until next time. Don't use Q-tips, everybody. <laughs> Bye, Nick. Is that a new? <laughs> that uh, a you new haven't listened to the rest of the episode yet, so you don't know that I oh, the, okay. the reference. It's an inside joke between me and the audience right now. <sighs> this this organization rubs me the wrong way. We're edging you out, bro. <laughs> We're edging the producer out. All right, get out of here. Get out of here, everybody. Okay, bye. Bye.